I believe with every fibre of my being that the course I have set out is the right one for our country and all our people. What has been achieved today is not Brexit. I don't believe this government has negotiated fairly or effectively. Brexit is a lose-lose situation. We have always followed the EU mandate. It is utterly unacceptable to anybody who believes in democracy. Hello and welcome to Brexit The Final Countdown. I'm Rebecca Hudson and this week I'm joined by our senior political correspondent Martin Brown who is on Boris's battle bus. Hello Martin. Hello. Thank you for joining us from a lay-by in God knows where. Pleasure. Well, we're at a factory, actually. Oh, delicious. Um, Lovely. Up north somewhere. Up, up north. Um, have you had a hearty helping of dams and jam for your brekkie? No, but I've just had a cheese scone. Oh, very nice. Um, and I'm slugging on a coffee, so uh, we're ready and firing. Oh, good stuff. Okay, good to hear that you're staying uh, nourished. Yeah, well, you've got to do it. When <laughs> you you're on the road, you've just got to eat when you can. Yeah, she's gone life. Um, we've got 72 days until Brexit Day and just 22 days until the election, so plenty to discuss. Let's do this. Um, okay, Martin, it was the television event of the year last night. Corbyn v. Boris Johnson in a celebrity death match. Uh, what did you think? Um, yeah, I thought it was good. It was good telly. Uh, it was quite spicy at times. Um, we didn't learn a whole lot from it, mm. um, but it was good knockabout stuff from, from both of them. And uh, as as the snap YouGov poll showed, I think uh, Boris Johnson just shaved it. 51 to 49. I mean, these ratios are getting very familiar, aren't they? They are, yeah. I'm surprised it wasn't 52 48. But. <laughs> it would be too poetic. Although I think that might be uh, Jeremy Corbyn's kind of glasses prescription because the lenses in those glasses were completely banana. They were so distracting, weren't they? Did you notice that? Yeah, it, yeah, it did look a bit weird from where I was, um, where I was watching. Yeah. Uh, it looked like one eye was a bit closed and the glasses were a bit wonky. Yeah. And um, it was, but. Kind of- uh, yeah, it was, and these these things matter. I mean, we just had the figures through. There were six point seven million people watching, and um, you know, optics matter. Yeah, uh, literally. <laughs> and if you're looking, if you're looking, if you're looking a bit weird, um, it doesn't yeah. doesn't play well. I mean, I didn't think. I mean, I didn't think Boris looked incredible either. I thought that that suit was sort of stretching a little over his arms, but I'm not one to speak. Anyway, um, <laughs> his hair for him, his hair was pretty immaculate. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Whereas I think Corbyn, we will still talk about the clothes, but I thought Corbyn looked great and I thought his suit was great. I loved the, the slim tie. I thought it was very trendy, actually. Yeah, and he, he had his hair cut and I think beard trimmed beforehand. So yeah. he was he was looking pretty snappy. It was a regular beauty pageant. Um, so you've mentioned the, the YouGov poll. Um, so it's kind of interesting. So Corbyn uh, came out on top on trustworthiness, 45% to 40. Johnson was rated more prime ministerial by a pretty mega 51% to 29 um, yeah, Johnson kind of were cut uh, cut through, I guess, on the Brexit stuff. Sixty three percent of respondents thought he answered it better, whereas Corbyn won on the NHS. So, do you think it's changed anyone's mind? And do you think Corbyn fluffed his Brexit as much as the audience would have had us believe because they kept laughing at him? Um, <clears throat> I I don't think he he fluffed fluffed Brexit um, in as such that he just kept repeating his his policy of not saying anything. Um, but that didn't come across very well because he was asked, what, nine times. Um, and, yeah, as you say, the the audience were laughing at that um, when he said, you know, we've made it clear, but clearly he's not made it clear. Um, but I, I wouldn't say he fluffed it. He's just sticking by his 
his views. Um, and obviously Boris Johnson just kept, kept repeating his mantra of getting Brexit done. And that was where I thought the Prime Minister was his strongest in the, in the first half. You know, he was on familiar ground on Brexit and um, it cuts through. I mean, that, that is the tactic they're using. Keep, keep, repeat, 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 get Brexit done. And um, that's his, yeah. as his strong selling point. I thought it didn't, I don't think it particularly worked though when he was being asked about sort of climate change in the NHS and then he kept bringing back to the fact that the planet's on fire or that we've got an NHS crisis is due to our failure to deliver Brexit. I, I don't know, I felt like he kind of lost the room, like certainly the second part like you're talking about, I feel like that that didn't work. Like we're talking about the rainforests, not withdrawal agreements. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> that's, that's their, uh, it's very on message. It was very um, on message. Yeah, and it's it's everyone's been saying it. He's ahead in the polls, and it's there for for Boris Johnson to lose. And so far, he's doing a good job of keeping the keeping uh, the ship steady, and he's on course um, at the moment. Um, the only way, particularly in these TV debates, where there's a lot of bluster, but not a great deal happens in terms of movement, in terms of. Uh, uh, success or losses for for each each party um but i think boris is keeping keeping uh keeping the ship steady and didn't lose any ground last night and boris um jeremy corbyn didn't gain any ground last night so over the out of the two you would imagine boris johnson would be more pleased i'm with his some of his team now and they're they're quite happy this morning with the coverage the way that the debate went and uh it's just another hurdle, negotiated and move on to the next thing. Okay, so that, so yeah, so that's the vibe on the buses that you're all kind of high fiving and kind of rewatching moments of it. Everyone thinks Boris did it. Well, it not quite like that, but um, there was we had, we were listening to the radio on the bus this morning, and uh, we're, we're I'm not actually on Boris's bus at the moment. We're we're on a like a satellite bus, but it's still got the the Get Brexit Done logo on the side and all that. But uh, on the bus this morning, there was just uh, kind of, they were reassured by last night and pleased that I don't think there are any major gaffes. Mm. Um, and uh, when it came on the radio, um, the, the repeat of Corbyn getting laughed at, there was a few cheers. Okay. Oh, good. I'm glad there's a bit of like banter on this bus. I can't. I don't want. I don't like the idea of you sitting in silence. Yeah, it is pretty pretty bantery. The bus, it's the banter bus. <laughs> well, you're on it, so we'd expect that. Yeah. Um, did you find the handshake a little cringe? Um, yes, yes. I thought that was, uh, I don't know I don't where that came from, from old Julie Etchingham. Necessary. There was a, I thought she did an amazing job though. She was but, fabulous, yeah. Yeah, there was a couple of cringy moments and that and the dams and jam Ugh. at the end was a bit, uh, I mean, bit cringy, but yeah. anyway. This is a man who sort of struggled to answer Naga Manchetti earlier this week about why he's relatable and then select dams and jam. I mean, I didn't know what a dams and was, shows my background i mean it well i think sales of dams and jam are going to be rocketing now oh after, do you think after last month. oh i thought maybe they oh, go yeah. through the floor oh is, is it the must give gift now is it the what sorry a mu- the must give gift you know last year you were sort of yeah. touting otolenghi recipe books do you think this year it's all about dams and jam it's all about dams and jam <laughs> um i thought I, I i thought that was a little bit of a po-faced answer i wasn't really i yeah too posh um i thought corbyn was strong with his um with his charles dickens victorian melodrama thought that was good yeah, if you, I mean, if you're really analysing it, there were Corbyn had a couple of good one-liners. Yeah. Strangely, actually, he he thought on his feet a couple of times. He had the 
nine years of chaos and he had the Scrooge um, yeah. one-liners. Boris Johnson had the uh, a good one-liner on um, forest, money forest, uh, money oh, tree yeah. forest. So um, um, that's where Corbyn did quite well on, on, um, on that. But uh, you could also see, I, I don't know whether anyone else noticed this, but uh, you could see he gets a little bit snappy with the audience. There was some jeers over anti-Semitism, and he kind of raised his hand mm. as if to say, "Come on, you know." So um, he does get rattled, but, though. We've seen that when he's being interviewed. I mean, he is—he does. His, I don't think he has the strongest, the longest fuse because he snap. He snaps at reporters quite often, doesn't he? That's kind of he does. A little bit of his thing. He's, he's uh, essentially he's like an activist campaigner. So uh, yeah, he's, he's best. He's best on his soapbox. Yeah. Or on a stage at a rally, that's his That's his scene, maybe not on, on yeah. live TV. Well, but, thank God he's been thrust yeah. to the forefront of British politics, eh? Just what we deserve. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what I was going to ask was, are you on the bus with anyone who's responsible for the heinous crime on Twitter last night that saw, them that saw the Conservatives rebrand their press office Twitter feed to uh, fact-checking Twitter um, and... The cynical amongst us might suggest it was to pass off their commentary as impartial, objective, fact-checking fact on the Tory party, uh, on the Labour party. Are you on the bus of anyone who did that? What do you think about that? That was a bit of a, a faux pas, no? Funnily enough, no one's really talking about that on our bus. So, mm. uh, um, yeah, I, it's one of these things. I think it's, I think it's a storm in a teacup. Um, and it seems like Twitter and... Uh, um, have, you know, reacted appropriately, and I think that's the last we'll see of that. But uh, Dominic Raab was on this morning, kind of defending it. They got into a bit of a pickle last night. James cleverly wasn't—he was tiptoeing around the issue. I think they get their fingers burnt on this one, but um, silly. They'll move on and won't do it again. No, don't do it again. I might rebrand my Twitter though, or something with a bit more authority, and see where it gets me. Maybe a few more followers. <laughs> Um, okay, so we sort of spoke a couple of weeks ago in this podcast about this being a Brexit election. And last night, I think it was pretty clear that it just is a Brexit election, isn't it? So um, Johnson definitely cut, sorry, Jeremy Corbyn certainly cut through more, as we've seen in the polling on uh, NHS climate change, um, all that good stuff. But really, all we care about is um, is Brexit. Do you think, is that a fair summation still? Yeah, absolutely. It's. Um, I mean, we're here now, I'm up at a, a business washing machine business in the north of England and the um Good grief. the on the north in the northeast and the uh the chairman of the company is a is a big leave supporter and he wants he wants Brexit to happen because it would be good for his business and that's a message that the Tory party have constantly pushed throughout this uh, election campaign and we'll do right to till polling booths close on um, December the 12th last night was you know, a good case of of that where half the debate was set aside for Brexit alone and every opportunity afterwards, Boris Johnson kept turning the conversation back to Brexit. He knows that this is a Brexit election. He knows that it's um, going to secure him votes. It's You've seen the Brexit party are falling, falling away now. Um, and strangely, the Lib Dems actually are falling away according to polling. So uh, yeah. I think that's... Probably because it's a it's almost a binary election now on between two parties and um, 
Brexit is the main issue. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I was going to just mention the Lib Dems before we let you go back to your washing machine factory. Um, that they're that they're the, an all time low in the, in the six weeks of polling. The the Lib Dems are coming in at the lowest they've been. Um, so this kind of very clear remain message and we're going to revoke article 50 on day one and i might even just bother doing it by email it, it really it hasn't converted in the polls in the way that i think joe swinson probably thought it would no no it is strange they were riding high as we said a couple of couple of months ago things were looking good for the lib dems and it hasn't now we've got into the election campaign good and proper they seem to be uh falling by the wayside a little bit but i'm a bit skeptical about polls i mean polls are are good and you look at the, the the trend of polls and it's putting the Tories with a, a nice lead and the Lib Dems and Brexit Party falling away but if the Tories are just getting these votes in areas where they already have seats then it won't translate into um, uh, into seats at the after the election so um, although it appears that they're in a strong position it might not change anything when it comes to uh, the parliamentary arithmetic which mm. is all important for getting Brexit done, yeah. uh, as so the Prime Minister would say. keeps telling us we must get it done. Um, uh, so, yeah, so we've had a, our first debate and it seems it's a Brexit election and it's a pretty much a two-party race is where we are, which kind of feels like where we've been well, for a little it's while. It's looking like that in the polls, but the SNP aren't polling very well, but they're going to win the whole of Scotland pretty much. So mm. polls can show you how popular parties are, but it doesn't translate necessarily no. into to seats no. um okay so we've got the, the lib dems are announcing their manifesto a bit later so it'll be interesting to see if anything fun happens there uh, you're on a bus with boris and his pals cruising around the northeast sort of calling in at various factories is there anything else we should be looking out for do you think until we convene again next week martin well we'll uh, by this, this time next week we will have, all the major parties will have uh, released their manifestos um i think labor's tomorrow tories is uh, soon and it certainly will be before next week um, and yeah just a good good weekend of, or good week and weekend of campaigning ahead uh, it should be interesting to see how Boris Johnson's received in the North East there's some key key seats up here which are uh, Labour margin, held marginals and one Tory held marginals so it's um, it's all to fight for oh, up here in the North East interesting this is gripping stuff um, thank you so much, Martin, for taking time out from your scone, your coffee, your time on the banter bus. Um, we're very grateful. Uh, yeah. For, for well, there's be- no coffee on the bus. So, oh. Well, there was no hot water on the bus. Oh. So we've had to uh, duck into a little coffee shop at the factory to, uh, oh. to uh, revive, replenish our, our uh, caffeine levels. Yeah. I hope it's not a single-use plastic, though, because we know that that is not tolerated in Tory HQ. So I'm, I'm actually in a cup, porcelain cup. Oh, porcelain. Oh, porcelain. Light. But of course. Oh, very nice. Okay, well, it's good to know that you're keeping it green while you're up there. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for speaking to us, Martin. It's always an honour and a privilege. And uh, we will speak to you next week. And now we are joined by Ashley Frawley, sociology lecturer at the University of Swansea and self-styled grumpy happiness critic uh, to our podcast. Hello. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Ashley, it'd be great to hear kind of what you thought to the Corbyn v. Johnson bout um, on ITV, particularly about kind of how well they communicated or didn't uh, their Brexit messages. Uh, yeah, so I think the format in general was not conducive to any kind of 
meaningful debate. I mean, you basically have to put forward a soundbite and kind of snide comments, and that's not really helpful. I mean, what's at stake here is the future of the country, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, and to, to, you know, give people sort of 60 seconds to make a point is not is not conducive to actually fleshing out ideas. Um, but that said, I mean, it, I was really disappointed um, to hear um, Corbyn's side of things. Just He's just trying to be everything for everyone. Um, and, you know, it's, it's the format, again, where you have to sort of make a point very, very quickly, and you just see this, like, pressing buttons, you know? What about the victims, the victims? You know, we've heard this kind of rhetoric, um, you know, just think of the victims and, and speaking on behalf of the weakest and so on, which, you know, has a good side to it, obviously. But on the other hand, it can be a kind of empty rhetoric. I mean, who is he actually talking to? Because presumably the people who... Um, are struggling, um, don't conceive of themselves as victims. I mean, not presumably. Uh, most people don't. And so actually it's speaking to this sort of class of people who see themselves as speaking for victims. So I think that was really interesting is how much it came back to that. And I think the, um, the audience was catching on and sort of saying, boo, hiss, every time that was coming up. Um, then on the other hand, you have um, Boris Johnson, who... Um, whose main vision for the future appears to be get it done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, that just over and over and over again. Uh, and I just find it so disappointing. We have a real opportunity. We had a real opportunity as a country to really debate what the future could be, what a post-Brexit Britain might look like, um, what we want to be our values, um, what control of laws might look like and unfortunately you know and it, it had the potential to really reawaken politics unfortunately that's come at a time when policymakers absolutely do not want that they have no faith in the electorate they they see themselves as like the parents of the electorate not their representatives and they're absolutely frightened of democracy they were very comfortable with this eu arrangement where they could defer responsibility to this bureaucratic governing body they absolutely loved these so-called progressive policies that came down from on high and told us how to live our lives um and it insulated them from debate. And now they're opened up to debate and they've just shown themselves to be completely unable to engage. Mm. I mean, that's kind of um, one of the kind of main thrusts of what you've been saying of, of, since the referendum result is that kind of the, I don't know what you want to call it, sort of the pseudo-intellectual or kind of the governing class have just um, adopted this incredibly patronising language about working class and lower middle class voters who voted for Brexit or, or just in general, actually, um, and talk about them in this kind of very patronising, you know, like you're saying, kind of paternal way um, that, they, that they must have been misled um, by fake news or, you know, they're just racist or, or whatever. And there's rather than perhaps looking more internally and introspectively and deciding that actually maybe the reason that um, working class voters chose to vote to leave the EU um, was because the arguments being made by the Remain camp just weren't very good. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, people, the whole panic about fake news is really interesting because the people who are panicking are not worried about themselves. They're worried about other people, right? It's like mm -hmm. by a definition, it is an issue of other people. It's you guys out there. You can't be trusted. I'm not fooled, but you are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, why do you not give other people the same benefit or um, faith in reason that you give to yourself? I mean, that's the basis of democracy, this idea that all human beings are, are 
at their at, at their core rational that we can all talk to each other and and reason with each other and that's what connects us as human beings that's what you know i if i can learn to speak your language you know wherever you are in the world we can have a conversation with each other and that's the basis of equality and what's really interesting is that it's become like this progressive idea that we should question that you know that human nature is just defective to the core and people are easily duped well that and that's supposed to be progressive but that is actually we, you know you re- really need to think about what that means if human beings are not rational then we've actually undercut the basis of our claims to equality to democracy to human freedom because if if human beings can't be trusted or not reasonable, then they can't be trusted with freedom. In fact, freedom is a problem. It's something that needs to be regulated. And that's really scary. That is not progressive at all. Mm. In the um, sort of looking at our political landscape then here, who of the kind of main political parties do you think kind of isn't, is the least guilty of that, if you see what I mean? Because I'm, I'm, I'm definitely kind of the woke left and kind of, um, I mean, you've, I've, was re- watching some of your interviews and you sort of talk about how um, sort of the left have become preoccupied with like the rhetoric of like wokeness rather than kind of big issues. So we don't talk about kind of workers' rights or the economy. We talk now about, um, you know, just sort of like the symbolism of language and stuff and that we've kind of, the sort of big political areas have been like depoliticized. And so I wonder who, which of the parties do you think sort of do that the least, if that makes sense? <laughs> well, I, I, I criticize the left, and you know you can mistake me for a right winger. I'm not. I I consider myself to be on the left. <laughs> you are a mystery. <laughs> yeah. Well, I am a. I'm I'm like an orthodox Marxist. <laughs> so, uh, to be called a right winger is interesting. Um, but I, you know I criticize the left because I'm disappointed with the left um, because I I see what are supposed to be my allies as the the people that are the the least progressive in many ways, not the you know, not the least progressive, but I think it's it's worse because you're supposed to be on the side of progress, you know, yeah. And to have these really backward ideas mixed in with what is supposed to be a progressive movement is really disappointing, and also it gives a bad name to the left. So now people think that the left is about controlling people about um, treating people like victims. You know, people don't want to be treated like victims. They want to be agents. They want to be recognized as rational agents capable of controlling their future. And actually, people are willing to accept risks if it means that they can have freedom. Uh, and, and, and they're willing to accept that bad things might happen if they exercise their sovereignty. Mm. Let me give you an example of this. So one of the reasons that I'm really against the EU is because um, I've spent a good portion of the last 15 years in Greece. My husband is Greek um, and my children are Greek. Um, And I saw what was happening um, in Greece. And what's interesting is that when there was that referendum in Greece, and if if you talk to people out on the street, they didn't care. They the, the scaremongering about, well, if you don't do this, terrible things are going to happen. They didn't care because they wanted out of the EU. They wanted to make their own way. And they were willing to accept that terrible things might happen, but at least it would be them doing it to themselves. And I don't mean that in this like self-harm kind of way because they're being harmed by the Troika. You know, they're being harmed by the policies. And it's not even for their benefit. At least if they're going to go through austerity, it should be to come out uh, with something better for the people of Greece at the end of it. And that is not what was going to happen. It was, you know, people were quite aware that it was to save the European project. It was not to save themselves. Uh, What I think is really interesting is that this this left-wing love for the EU has this 
total amnesia for what happened in Greece. And, and it sort of betrays this, um, uh, this inconsistency when people will say, when I say like, well, look what happened to Greece. And then all of a sudden they go, well, you know, they deserved it. (laughs) (laughs) Or, or, so there's, or like on the one hand, you'll say the, the, the same people who are like economic growth, isn't the be all and the end all, right? You know, there's more to life than money. Like we should, government should focus on happiness. And then, uh, Brexit comes and and they're like, oh, it's going to hit growth. It's going to, it's going to, you, you know, you didn't vote to be poorer. Well, you know what? You didn't care about my living standards before. Suddenly, you're worried about economic growth? I don't buy it. I don't buy it for a second. Do you... I want to... You know when people... You uh, wrote in an article about how... um, you are this kind of apocrypha that despite being an immigrant to the UK and married to someone Greek with Greek children, you would have voted leave. Um, can you appreciate why people do find that kind of unusual juxtaposition, though, to kind of have um, an, you know, that you wouldn't have met? Did you meet your husband in the UK? No, we met in Greece. But so were you, I guess you guys wouldn't be able to, you wouldn't be living in Swansea as easily without freedom of movement. Your children obviously are Greek. Like, do you have any truck with you know, people who kind of don't, can't get their head around it and kind of, yeah, like you said, you know, would accuse you of being sort of xenophobic or kind of... Accuse me of being xenophobic. Yeah. <laughs> I am an immigrant. Uh, well, that's it, exactly. Kind of the idea that, that, that kind of, I don't know, pulling up the rope, behind, the ladder behind you, I don't know, that, that kind of stuff that gets thrown around. No, uh, yeah. no, look, I am pro-migration. And by that, I don't mean like I want more people to be fleeing their homelands and that kind of thing. It's, it, it's that I think that human beings are going to move around. I know human beings are going to move around the world for a variety of reasons, regardless of what we do. And when we have racist immigration policy, which is what the EU has at the moment. So you have free movement for people within the EU. But as soon as you start talking about free movement for black people, people start getting really uncomfortable. Uh, And I think it's a myth that Remainers are actually pro-open borders. They're not. Because every time I have a conversation about open borders or or, or more relaxed migration, people start getting very uncomfortable. I actually had a conversation with somebody who said, who basically said, like, we were going to be, use the word swarm. Mm. Swarm. If we have a, and this was a Remainer. You know, so... I am pro. I am pro immigration, but I absolutely understand that this is not something that can be imposed on high because it will turn people against it. And we have to have an open conversation. And when we, if we have control over our laws, we can elect governments that have a more realistic and humane understanding of why people move around the world. And that is, and we can, in the arena of democratic debate, convince people that the reason why people die in friggin' shipping containers isn't because of traffickers who convince them of this lovely life they're going to have, but because of the absolute desperation, because of the policies that push people to try to get in through very dangerous routes. We have had open borders in the past. Europe has had open borders with Africa, and we were not, quote-unquote, swarmed. People came and went with the seasonal flows of of, uh, labor. Um, when you close borders, you force people into dangerous terrain. It is, a, it is the result of EU policy that people drown in little dinghies, that people, um, uh, you know, uh, freeze to death. And, and like, that is the result of policy. And it's also the result of UK policy as well, the hostile environment. But you, you can't simply impose that. You have to win a debate. Nobody is convinced by, you know, shut up, you racist. When you wanna, when somebody raises questions about immigration, you have to be able to rationally convince people democratically, or we will have 
continued policies of just pandering to people who think, you know, the the current government just thinks that the UK elector is a bunch of racists, and that's why uh, Brexit happened. So they they keep promising this hostile environment. People don't like that. People are not anti-immigration. They want to make sure that their jobs are protected. Um, and it is it is absolutely true that the EU is pro. Uh, pro-business. That's why they have free movement of people, not because it's a wonderful thing, but because it allows uh, for wages to, in certain areas, to be lower. Uh, and it, it is the case that um, in very uh, in the low-skilled industries that it does. You don't need to be a sociologist to know that it drives down wages in, in uh, low-skilled industries. Um, but the answer to that is not to try desperately to keep people out because it's not going to work. You're just going to have an even more easily exploitable, quote-unquote, illegal immigrant class, which is what you have in the United States. Um, it's to band together and to fight against those institutions which are against workers' rights. To see the EU as a bastion of workers' rights is not only ahistorical, it's completely wrong. It, 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 it ignores the, the struggles of everyday people coming together for a better deal. That is why workers have rights, not because governments have, have bequeathed them to us from on high. Yeah, but I guess what you're describing is a really very nuanced and, in you know, nuanced debate about, you know, like the glo- you know, a, a globalised economy and the, and the freedom of movement and kind of fluctuations of labour. And that level of debate just isn't happening. It has become this really binary, like, oh, you're a Remainer, so you're a kind of lefty, quinoa-munching, open-border hugger. Or you're a lever, in which case you're a sort of red-faced, you know, uh, ham-fisted gammon. And, like, how do you think we can insert that kind of intelligent discussion about any of these issues? Like, you're talking workers' rights, immigration, kind of... The things have, have, um, that have been kind of weaponized by both sides of the uh, EU debate, like how do we insert kind of intelligent conversation? You know, the de- leaders debate last night was an hour. You know, we spent sort of like two and a half minutes mm-hmm. on the NHS and then we're talking about, you know, jam, for God's sake. Like, wh- <laughs> how do you change? I don't, I, it feels like national discourse maybe has gone too far. I'd love, like, how do we get everyone sort of talking like you are? <laughs> You just have to have more debate. Just keep talking. Just keep. And I, you know, I don't buy this idea that people have short attention spans. People are just stupid. I mean, look at YouTube and like these debates that people are having that are like an hour and a half long, and they've got millions of views. You know, there was the uh, two philosophers, Slavoj Žižek and Jordan Peterson, had a debate, and people were lined up around the block. Thousands of people. I stayed up till four o'clock in the morning to watch it, and I wasn't the only one. Who <laughs> <laughs> was it? Three o'clock in the morning, uh, and it went on and on and and people loved it people want debate they want to hear ideas people are hungry for ideas and we have this idea this vision of the human being where people are just defective defunct psychology is just the answer we just push these buttons throw out these hot button issues and we'll win an election I, i i want to see a politics where we can take risks and unfortunately i think that means electoral reform as well because the way that things are set up it's not conducive to those kinds of debates you've got like an op your options are like who do you hate least um but i think the, the answer is always more debate, more conversation, and people do want it. I think people are hungry for ideas. People can be convinced. Mm. You've um, you've been supportive of Claire Fox, especially in her kind of candidacy with the Brexit Party. So she is a Brexit MEP. Uh, she's previously a she's a former communist. Um, do you see the Brexit Party as kind of a bit of a breath of fresh air in the sense that it's this kind of broader church? Maybe it. Is the language and the way that they're talking to voters slightly less patronising than the main two parties? 
you know, do they kind of represent that sort of change in politics that you think we need? Or is it just Claire particularly that you've taken a shine to? <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's kind of I interesting. Was, she is. Uh, she's, she's really brilliant. Yeah. She's really brilliant. And uh, her ideas are not just floating, you know. It's not, she hasn't just, like, written them on the back of a napkin because it sounds nice. Um, if you talk to her, they're rooted in a deep analysis of issues. And I think that's a rare thing why I really like her. She has this rare gift for just being so logical and being able to talk to everyday people. Um, but I, I, I th- at the same time, I cannot bring myself ever to vote for Farage. Like, That's I, interesting. I, yeah. <laughs> Go on, I- elaborate. <laughs> yeah, because I think he represents this pandering, this idea, this construction of the working class as a bunch of xenophobes. And... Um, ah. Uh, who do you think doesn't then because I can kind of understand like Corbyn last night you know you take issue with kind of him talking about sort of you know working people and kind of um, welfare and that kind of thing so who in our sort of public life do you think isn't guilty of this sort of this uh, is patronizing the word for it I'm I'm interested because I'd have thought you maybe would have thought Farage empowered those voters the most yeah no, you don't Uh, (laughs) who do you think I can't get over I can't get over the xenophobia like I, I would say like uh, the, the, the fact that human beings will move around the world regardless of what we do. And when our policies are more and more um, uh, stringent, I can't think of the right word, but w- w- when we have more and more hostile policies, we create the problems that result and we try to scapegoat other people, but it's, it's our policies ultimately that do that. Um, and I, that's the hell I'm going to die on. Like, there's absolutely no amount of job security, nothing that you can say that will make it okay to fish babies out of the Mediterranean. I know I'm being emotive there, but I got two kids and it works for me, you know, when mm. I see that. <laughs> I, it does, you know, I am human. Um, and and I, I, I absolutely just cannot get on board with anybody who I think um, goes down that route. Uh, I... I, I will, and even if people think that I am wrong, I will argue <laughs> until I convince you that this is the right thing to do is to have a more humane immigration policy. Uh, and I don't really, you know, it's good to empower, it's absolutely good to empower the working class, um, but I think that uh, I want to convince them that that, that that is wrong, that yeah. that's the wrong path to go. Yeah. Um, so I don't know who uh, in public life today. I think there are some sort of obscure intellectuals that I think have got it right. Um, I mean, maybe even you could do it. You're you're a slightly obscure intellectual. Maybe you could uh, <laughs> take up a more, a more prominent role in public life. No, I mean I don't have everything right either. I'm still sort of working through what I think about things. Um, but I, you know, I, I I do like people like Claire Fox, who's just committed to public debate and just has this faith in people that. Um, that through debate we will find the truth and I can convince you and I can bring you over to my side. And I think that's a really rare thing in public life and I think we need more of that. Absolutely, especially now. Do you think that once Brexit um, is delivered or if we have a second referendum and it's cancelled, do you think that we can kind of come public discourse and kind of the way that we talk about kind of various voting groups, can we recover from this or do you think this kind of very binary, you know, you're one or the other way that the nation's been kind of split for a couple of years now. Do you, is that kind of it forever, do you think, for British public life? It's hard to say because um, 
the way that the news cycle works is whatever is the hot issue at the moment seems like it's going to be that way forever. And certainly Brexit is one of the things that has been trundling along for much longer than it should have, um, at least in the form that it's taken, where we're still sort of talking about whether or not we should be um, going that direction. Um, so, you know, it, it does seem like it's, this is never going to end. But then you would be surprised the sorts of issues that will come up and we'll, we'll forget about it. But I don't necessarily think that um, this division of people is a bad thing. I, I do think it's, it's good to disagree. I think, I think for a long time we had this sort of bland politics of the middle way, um, you know, a little bit of change here, a little bit of more taxation, less taxation. Um, and I, I think we've seen the return into the political sphere of bigger questions uh, and I think that's a good thing even if it means that people have throw down debates and won't talk to their family at Christmas like <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think the only way that we move forward as a society is through debate through being wrong and trying to find the truth trying to find what's right just um well just thinking about what you've just said I I'm just thinking of the state so they kind of have a similar issue don't they and that you've got kind of Trump voters are condemned as sort of being yeah exactly all the words that we use to describe uh, Brexit voters over here uh, but he of he operates probably what you would describe as a hostile if not slightly xenophobic foreign approach to immigration for foreign nationals and then you get Hillary Clinton who is on the left of the center but who describes the very people that you're talking about as deplorables and so they've kind of got the same they've kind of got the same situation over there or do you think there's a because a lot of a lot of times, kind of the rise the, the rise of Trump and the uh, Brexit result are compared, and so it looks like the situations are similar. Do you buy that as a comparison, or not really? Well, I, just to say, um, both like there's this tendency to see um, conservatives as the only ones who stoke anti-immigrant sentiment. That's not the case. Like. Um, uh, What's happening in the UK, for instance, is just a continuation of similarly hostile policies by previous Labour governments. Uh, and uh, and Labour sort of made this vague statement about, about immigration policy post-election, uh, post um, post which I absolutely, which if you read carefully, is actually intended to uh, appeal to as many people as possible and is really, really vague. There, there's no way that they won't have uh, a sort of... Um, just as um, hostile policy as previous governments, because everybody's just pandering. So even in the in, even in Canada, where I'm from, where Justin Trudeau has all this pro-immigration rhetoric, um, they quietly pass anti-refugee policies. Um, like so, it's it's all rhetoric, basically. I mean, the entire political spectrum basically panders to this perceived xenophobia, and they they love it because it divides people, right? It's not mm. my fault your wages are low; it's these darn foreigners, right. you know. Uh, and then, so they say they say these things in nicer language, um, but it is more or less the same idea. I think the binary, though, is somewhat mythical. So I, I did say that it's good that we have, like, um, a competing and fiery views. But at the same time, like, nobody is 100%. Like, there are very, very few people, like, just everyday people that are like, oh, yeah, Hillary Clinton, best choice ever. That's exactly what I want. Oh, and Donald Trump, you know, perfect. If you've got this binary choice, you've got the... And a lot of people felt, like... I'm I'm just choosing. I'm kind of forced to choose the lesser of two evils. 
So it's, it, I think it's like this idea that there are people who are like, like there's this like Trump mania or something. It's not the case. You, you, like if you look at like, for instance, even like religious fundamentalists, well, they were saying like we held our nose when we voted for Trump. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you said it earlier, which, which is um, stayed with me. The idea of people just voting for the one that they hate the least. Um, so yeah, yeah kind of walk, that's yeah. what I find myself doing. <laughs> yeah. Like, who do I hate? Whose policies am I willing to fight? Who do, whose policies do yeah. I think I? Because like I voted Labour in the previous uh, election in in Wales, and uh, now I'm fighting Labour <laughs> their policies. Yeah, like fighting, you know. Oh, and I regretted so much that vote, but at the same time, I kind of had to ask myself, who was I more willing to fight? Yeah, <laughs> the path of least resistance. Who are you thinking of uh, voting off in December? Doesn't sound like you're going to be um, crossing the box next to your Labour candidate. Uh, well, that's uh, that's what I'm still deciding. I'm mm. still deciding. The lesser of two evils, basically. I Could I ever, ever, ever vote Conservative? I don't know. I don't think so. Gosh, maybe you'll, be, uh, maybe you'll do something mad and do like a Lib Dem vote or something. Absolutely not. I, <laughs> neither liberal nor democratic. Uh, I know it's an old joke, but it's absolutely the case. Maybe, maybe you have to you have to just move to where Claire Fox is. I know. Actually, I know. she's the only one that you seem to, <laughs> that you've warmed to. <laughs> no, I think there are loads of people within the Brexit Party that are great. They're mm. really, really good. Yeah, I'm just turned off by Nigel Farage. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you've been fascinating to talk to you, Ashley, and I think um, your message will just resonate so much with our readers and listeners. Um, the patronising language that's used around people who had full autonomy over their decision in 2016, but who are kind of continually written off as just not being able to look after yeah. themselves or understand things. Yeah. You know, it, we talk about it a lot because it it, it really is a it's hugely disappointing to, as in the least in the finest term, yeah. really. Um, Squandered opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you so much um, for sparing your time. We know you're incredibly busy and you've got a lecture imminently. Um, yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, but so thank you so much. And hopefully we can have you back on, on to, a, to discuss the result of what on earth will happen in December um, and, and track your progress in trying to sort of re-empower the working classes. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Well done for making it to the end of an episode of Brexit, The Final Countdown. If you're still enjoying The Countdown, you can subscribe for free. And if you're really enjoying The Countdown, you can also leave us a review.